Merry Christmas to you. This is our fourth Sunday of looking at Christmas stories, and we've got one more next week also. Uh, These stories are so rich, there's so much to look at, and we're just really skipping through each one of them. We could spend the whole five weeks on any one of these stories. Uh, But today, turn with me to Matthew, the second chapter. We've been in Luke most of this time, and today we'll look at Matthew. Because Matthew includes a piece of story that's not hinted at at all in Luke. It is a unique story, and I find it to be an absolutely fascinating one. Matthew, the second chapter, read with me, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can too go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route." We've been talking about surprises this week, this this whole month. So I thought I would bring a bit of a story about a surprise that Ian and I had a number of years ago. We were living in Indonesia, our second Christmas there. We had been reaching out to numerous Muslim friends. And we knew that on the Indonesian calendar, there was actually the Christmas day was listed as a great holiday. But it was actually named not Christmas, but the day of the birth of the prophet Esau, which is the Arabic name for Jesus. So we thought, you know, let's invite all of our Muslim friends to come to our home for a Christmas celebration. Not actually expecting that they would come. We were thinking that they would not want to come to our house to celebrate Christmas, Jesus, Christ, the Messiah. In fact, in our neighborhood that year, uh, one of the primary mosques close to our home, and you know, when you live in a Muslim country, you get to hear all the sermons because they're, they've got very big loudspeakers, and when they 
think about the elephant. Here, here's the thing about the magi. The magi were most likely from Persia. It's an, the, the name comes from an ancient group of teachers, priests, holy men, natural scientists, astrologers who lived in Persia. They had been there for many, many centuries. Now, in the Bible itself, though, there are a number of other people who pick up the name Magi because it became uh, a common name for people who use especially non-biblical forms of science and study and spirituality. And it is the word that we get our English word, magic or magician from. So it seems most likely that they were from Persia, although at that particular time, uh, there's a lot of, been a lot of study going all the way back to Johannes Kepler about the star. Where was this star from and what was it about and what was going on with the star? Johannes Kepler, one of the greatest uh, European astronomers, noted in his lifetime an unusual conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. And as he studied it, he realized that this happened every 805 years. And that exactly two times before he saw it, it had happened about the same time that Jesus was born. This particular celestial event is noted in the annals of China and Korea. We don't know what other cultures might have noticed it. And actually, uh, I have a number of Chinese friends who tell me the story of a great Chinese scholar who left China for a few years at this exact time. And uh, the story goes that maybe the Magi were from China, but it appears most likely that they were from Persia. The empire of Persia. They had probably traveled at least a thousand miles. That's why I think the elephant's just a little bit too much. The only, the only problem with uh, traveling, uh, elephants can go a long way, but you've got to feed them. And most of the way that they were traveling, there wouldn't have been a great amount of food. It would have been a little bit difficult for an elephant. We traditionally think of them as being three. We sing of three kings, and that's because, again, we know about the gifts that they bring. There's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Probably the most expensive, lightweight trade goods that were known in the ancient world. And there's been a lot of symbolism talked about those specific things. They were all gifts fit for a king because they were extremely valuable. All three of them. And certainly there may be something to the symbolism of gold, as in gold in a crown. Frankincense, which was used in worship. And myrrh, which was also uh, very much like frankincense, but was also made into liquid form and sometimes used as a perfume, even in funerals, to anoint the body of the dead. I don't know about all those symbolic pieces, but I do know that they were carrying very expensive treasures from their people and their land 
And it seems unlikely to me that these important men would have traveled a thousand miles in a group of three. We're probably talking about a rather large group of people. Servants, perhaps guards, most likely, with the kind of expensive gifts that they were bringing And so as they entered into the city of Jerusalem and began to ask this question, they raised quite a stir. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And that's where we come across this other figure in this story that's so fascinating, and that is Herod the Great. The problem with asking about where is he who has been born king of the Jews is that that was Herod's favorite title for himself. I am the king of the Jews. And Herod, who is not himself Jewish, at least not from the tribes of Israel, he was an Idumean, and his family had converted to Judaism. He he was religiously a Jew, but even in the story it appears he really didn't know that much about his Jewish faith. He knew enough to be the king, and that's about it. Now, this is the same Herod, though, who had executed his favorite wife, Mariamna, and his two sons, because he thought they were plotting to take his throne too early. Ruthless, bloodthirsty, so protective of his reign, that he had killed much of his own family so that he could be the king of the Jews. And now comes these foreigners asking, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And we read earlier from Micah that this Messiah, the coming king, would be born in Bethlehem. Which makes sense. The city of David. David's own hometown. And this Messiah is of the family of David. And represents the throne of David. And will be the the fulfillment of God's promise to David. To establish a kingdom. Forever. Now it appears from passages passages in John. That almost everyone on the street in a Jewish village or town. Would know if you ask them. Where is the Messiah going to be born they would all know. It's We know. Micah wrote it out. It's right there. It is in Bethlehem. But when the question was asked of Herod, he had to ask the religious leaders because he didn't know. He wasn't sure. Probably he had put a guard on, on that town if he had known all along that this was the dangerous place where someone else might rise up. Now, These kinds of events are actually not unusual in this time of the world, in this part of the world. Stars were often viewed as warnings about a death, a coming death, or maybe the celebration of a coming birth. Uh, The famous Caesar Nero uh, was alive and reigning during, uh, I believe it was an appearance of Halley's Comet. And it was thought at that particular time that Halley's Comet, when it came, was probably announcing the death of some important person. 
So because we know so much about Nero and his character, we're not surprised by what Nero did. Thinking that this star, this comet, might be announcing his death, he decided that every night that the comet appeared, he would have some important person murdered so that it wouldn't be him. So this is really not unusual in that sense of recognizing, oh, there's, a, there's something happening in the stars or something happening in the sky. And it may have to do with the king, the king of the Jews in this case. Now, when I read this story, it strikes me in just a few short verses of the three dramatically different responses to Jesus, to this birth, to this news about the coming king. There is Herod. We see him. And at first, if we haven't read the whole chapter, don't know the story, it sounds really good. When did all of this happen? And please go and find this particular baby and come back and tell me. And what does he tell them? So I can go and worship him too. Now, the rest of the chapter tells us that is not at all what Herod intended. He was trying to manipulate this situation and use these foreigners who didn't know any better, perhaps. Probably everyone else in Jerusalem might have suspected. That's why he called them in secretly. He couldn't tell them out loud because everyone that they passed would say, Oh, don't believe it. Herod's not going to go worship a baby. They would have known what he was going to do. So Herod attempted to manipulate this whole situation in order to terminate the threat to his own reign. Angry and hateful at the announcement of this amazing news. Seeing Jesus as a threat to me and what I want to do and my throne, and my reign, and my name. Jesus is a threat. And therefore, I will do all I can to terminate that threat. Not all that surprising to us today, because there's still many in our world who hear this story and hate every piece of it. Not realizing it is the greatest offer of love and peace and joy and salvation the world's ever known. And then we have very briefly just one statement about the people in Jerusalem. Now, word must have spread through the whole city. It wasn't that big of a city. When this entourage of foreigners coming in, obviously wealthy, not knowing probably that they brought these great gifts of wealth, but this was newsworthy. And so the whole city must have been wondering, what are they doing? Why are they here? And when they heard the question that the Magi had raised and that Herod had heard that question and had been very upset, what does it say about the people of Jerusalem? They were afraid and upset too. They knew Herod. They knew what he'd done to his own family. They knew what kind of response was likely to come. Isn't it a bit of a heartache to you to realize that in this story, 
This announcement is made in the holy city of Jerusalem, five miles from Bethlehem. And there's not a single hint that even one citizen of Jerusalem walked the couple of hours it would have taken to go to Bethlehem. They were simply afraid. In fact, if they had business going south out of Jerusalem, they probably would have delayed it. No way are they heading down to Bethlehem at this particular time, assuming perhaps that Herod had already set up spies to watch, to see, to make sure that a whole crowd didn't go to celebrate the birth of this new king of the Jews, this new Messiah. And then there is the response of these foreigners themselves. It says that they're filled with joy. And they come before this baby and they present their gifts. They present their greatest wealth to him. And they worship him. Now, the Greek word means to bow the knee, and it is used actually for worship. It's sometimes used in terms of paying homage to a king as if bowing to show our respect and submission. But actually in their day, there probably wasn't that much difference between worship and paying homage because people normally thought of their kings as being godlike in that sense. So these foreigners have come, these Persians have come, and they are filled with joy. They present their gifts and they pay homage. They, in essence, show their respect and submit themselves to this great king. Now, the greatest surprise in this story is one that's staring us in the face but if we're not thinking in terms of the cultural setting that it takes place in, we may miss it. The greatest surprise in this whole story that would have been evident to all of those Jewish readers that Matthew was specifically writing to is the star. The star is the surprise. Why? Because when God had given His people the law. He had expressly told them not to study the stars. It's written very clearly. Look in Deuteronomy 17, verse 25, verse 2 and 5. You can see it also in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Over and over, God knowing that the other nations surrounding the people of Israel were astrologers. They were people who watched the stars, tried to determine what their future was going to be through the stars, just like we have many people today who look at their horoscopes. And God specifically said to his people, you will not be astrologers. You will not be followers of the stars because what, it will, what will happen is you will begin to worship the creation instead of the creator. God demanded that they be wholeheartedly committed to Him and not involved in these other things. It is expressly written, listen to Deuteronomy 17. 
If a man or woman among you in one of your towns that the Lord your God will give you is discovered doing evil in the sight of the Lord your God and violating his covenant and has gone to worship other gods by bowing down to the sun, the moon, or all the stars in the sky, which I have forbidden. And if you are told or hear about it, you must investigate it thoroughly. If the report turns out to be true that this detestable thing has happened in Israel, you must bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this great evil thing and stone them to death. Why was it that when the wise men show up and ask about and mention this star in Jerusalem, that the city didn't go, oh yeah, we've been wondering what that was about. No one in Jerusalem noticed. They didn't watch the stars. They didn't follow astrology. You see, the amazing thing here is that God, who had declared all of this by His Word, has now chosen to miraculously reveal to the nations through a sign that goes against His very law because they didn't know His law. And He sent them a sign in their language. To say, something unique is happening. Now, we need to put this in context because the star pointed them in the right direction. But they had to come to Jerusalem and ask what was written in the scriptures to actually find Jesus. In this particular case, the mixing of a miraculous sign... God's hand in history by placing the Jewish people in Persia. The witness of his people and the truth of scripture all combined, pointing to the birth of a Messiah in Bethlehem. You see, the story of the wise men and this star are a reminder again that even though he was born as king of the Jews, Jesus was sent to bless the whole world. Every nation, every one of us. And that is the surprise that we celebrate today.